Hello, everybody. Welcome what? to Inside Improv. It's another Friday, which means we're going to talk about improv, things on the stage, things behind the scenes, uh, the business of improv, the marketing of improv. And I'm super excited about our very special guest today is Rebecca Northern from Canada. And so many shows that we'll talk about that I can't even list them all right now, but uh, truly somebody I admire and respect and love as a human being and an artist, uh, as well as many of our usual suspects. So let's go around and uh, bring everybody on. Please, John Tim's here behind the scenes. Hello. Yeah, John Tim. Hello. Hey. Uh, wow. And we have our usuals, Joe Bill. You want to say hi, Joe Bill? <laughs> sure. Hi, I'm Joe Bill. I'm in Chicago. And in honor of our Canadian presence today, I think we should talk about improv and impro. Yes. True. Oh, good yeah, let's drop the V. Drop the V. <laughs> Don't drop the v. v. I, I still feel like right. I have a part here. That's going to be our, our first topic of conversation. Thanks for bringing it up, Joe. Uh, oh, shit. And, uh, Elise Rodriguez is here. Hi, yep, Elise. I'm here coming at you from Sarasota, Florida. Covered Ooh. in sand. Today. She wants you all to know. Covered, covered in, in sand. sand. <laughs> I've got sand in my eyes. And I really do. Velvet Wells is back. Hi, Velvet. Hey, everybody. I'm coming in from the colonial center of Canada, Ottawa, Amazing. or Toronto. I don't depends who you talk to. What the center of Canada is? <laughs> That's the the official political center, correct? Mm, yes. Uh, and and Ottawa is always pronounced in a way that I struggle with in the official. As I think we grew up saying Ottawa, but it's there's like a longer O in the middle in Canada. Will you say it how you say it? Ottawa. I, I mean, I heard I, I I this is new to me, but okay. I also was told that I I pronounced Toronto wrong because I actually pronounced the T, T. and the O at the end of it. So I don't know. Yes, I was I'll, I'll let you know in a month. Okay, great. I was trained by Canadians for sure to do the Toronto. Little Toronto, no, no. Team. Well, Toronto. only Toronto, only Torontonians want you to say it like that. Yeah. Uh, well, the rest well, of the country <laughs> says Toronto. Okay. <laughs> if they're being polite, yeah. Yeah, uh, Rebecca, welcome. So excited to have you here. Yay! Uh, thank you. Yay. And it's you were you were living in Toronto or Toronto uh, for very Toronto long time. <laughs> 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 because you're not there right now. So <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, I moved to Toronto in uh, 2001 um, and was there up until about three years ago. So for a while I said Toronto, but I'm, not, I'm now back to saying Toronto. I'm in Stratford, Stratford, Ontario. I'm two hours outside of Toronto. <laughs> and and you, did, were you born and raised in Calgary? I sure was. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. But I have an affinity for Calgarians. Uh, you know what? A lot of Calgarians really like you. What? That's nice. Yeah. To <laughs> no, it's Do true. tell. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. I was, you know, I was with Bruce Horak today. I mentioned your name and he just lit up. He was like, oh, oh my God, I love her. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, I love Bruce. Hey, just and I think I, I heard about you long before I ever met you about how great you are. So, oh, and you didn't disappoint me. Oh, good. Phew. Phew. Yeah, I still have time. Up. I still have time. <laughs> you lived up. Uh, and we first met in the in the fringe environment, not the improv environment, actually. I, think so. uh, yeah. I was 
in it was the was it Vancouver? Yeah, it was Vancouver Fringe. I was there for that, and you were there doing Blind Date um, at the Colch at that time. Oh my gosh, that's a long time ago. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, it was the first time. Wait, no, that was when I came up to see it. You were doing it somewhere else. I think just like a one-off or something. So it was even longer ago than that. But um, let's talk about, let's just start with Blind Date. That was our m- moment of connection. Um, and Bruce also is in that. And uh, what was, well, let's actually go back all the way to Calgary. So so you grew up in <laughs> Calgary because that's where Loose mm-hmm. Moose is based, Keith Johnstone. Um yeah whose book is called Impro, no V there. <laughs> no V. Why is there, like, why can't we decide as a group whether it's Impro uh, You know what, honestly, impro? I think it's the same as you spell color C-O-L-O-R and we spell it C-O-L-O-U-R. Yeah, yeah but why would you put a U in it, really? Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that a, that a country that is so interested in, in melting pot and putting every, putting all of you into something Tip the U out of your spelling. <laughs> okay, wow. peace out. I'm good. Bye. And we're done. Thank you all for being yeah. here today. We'll see you next week. It's been a great one. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, so were you interested? How did you come to performance, to acting, um, to improv? Where did it start for you? In a very unhappy childhood home. <laughs> it was a great way. I know, Joe Bill, we've talked about this. I know. You know, when mom and dad are fighting, you, you can hide or you can put on a show and you can change the energy in the in the house. So I, I honestly, if I'm if I'm really like digging down and uh, I think I think that's that's probably what the roots of it is like, hey, everybody, let's be in a better mood. And also, love me, love me, uh, love me, love me. Oh God, I love yeah. it. Um, and did you did you start with acting? Is it too much? I don't know how personal no. you want this. To we be. go there. Yes, nothing is okay. too much. Actually, I was, nothing uh, is too much. I am aware of a lot. I've heard you tell lots of stories of your childhood, and I am aware of it. And and part of that, um, I was hoping might come up because I do feel like having a tough childhood. You. Uh, as I or a woman who came up in in improv at a time where it was extraordinarily male dominated. And mm. I wonder if having uh, a difficult childhood, though, gave you a toughness um, that helped you I- endure the, that kind of male environment. Would that's you say a, that's, that's a- an interesting thought? I think, I, yeah, maybe. I think also I was uh, uh, I was bullied really badly as a child at school. So that kind of toughened me up. Um, and I had, uh, I had a lot of uncles, you know, the uncles who would like, they would think hilarious to like drag on a cigarette and blow smoke in your six year old face mm-hmm. so that they could be- <laughs> beat you at space invaders. Rebecca, I don't want to break <laughs> your heart, but not everyone had that uncle who did that. Really? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I mean, I, I also like like that was one uncle. And another uncle, as soon as he found out I was afraid of the water, put me in a kayak and flipped me upside down. <laughs> wow. I've been thrown. I've been thrown in a pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you're kid. afraid? Yeah. Let's throw you in the deep end. Yeah. I'm, like as yeah. an adult, I remember going back to that uncle going, what if I told you I was afraid of fire? Like, what would you have done? <laughs> 
<laughs> put you in the kayak, say, turn it on, flip it over, turn it on. Yeah, just with its own fire on top of the kayak. Yeah. A little yeah. Viking funeral for little Rebecca. Oh. oh. So, yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe that that sort of like, you know, perfect storm of, of uh, and I think also I was, a, I was a bit of a tomboy growing up too, right? Like, um. That and I, that in, you know, I started improvising in 1988. So it, it just was what it was. Like I had nothing to compare it to. Mm -hmm. Really. And, and did you find, I, I have found that a lot of my women friends who have, um, I don't know what that buzz is from. I don't know if that's from me. Is anyone else hearing that buzz? There we go. Little mm -hmm. crackle. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people when, the women who came up in those earlier days where it was really male uh, dominated ended up having a lot of criticism on both sides also of like, oh, you play too much like a guy or you're too, because <laughs> I, I think a lot of us were tomboys. Did you sure. ever experience that kind of criticism? Gosh, I can't remember. I, I do know that, <laughs> that, that, I mean, I don't know what I did yesterday either. So um, <laughs> I can't really take my memories Take all my memories with a bag of salt. Um, I started when I was 16, and uh, I, Loose Moose was just the coolest place I'd ever been, and I, I couldn't get enough of it. And But there did come a point uh, earlier. I, I, I do have a clear memory of once being asked, um, will you play in the second half of theater sports, which, you know, was a big deal. That's the, the senior improvisers. But the invitation was, you're not you're not actually good enough to play in the second half, but you're the only woman here tonight. So if you could Naturally. just be on the bench, and if we need like a mom or or something, uh, you could jump in. But let me tell you, like seventeen year old Rebecca Brain, like, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I can do yeah. that. And then it didn't matter what scene the guys were doing. I would knock at the door and, and stick my head in and say, does anyone need a cup of coffee? Because <laughs> you always need a mom in a scene, Do you need right? me to put a load of laundry on for you? That's the only contribution I made to every scene for the entire night. And then afterwards they were like, yeah, point taken, point taken. <laughs> awesome. And did you start there? Like, did you go to a show and fall in love with it? Did you sign up for a class? How did you discover Loose Moose? Um, that actually happened through my high school. So that there was, at that time, theater sports tournaments happening between high schools in the city. And so if you were on your high school team, you got to go to Loose Moose and have a weekend workshop. So Whoa. that's how I dis and the, the you know the thing that was really strange about it is that Loose Moose was a not even a ten minute drive from my house. Uh, so I grew up in the far northeast corner of Calgary, like way out in the boonies. Um, th there's no like there there really is no reason for there to be a theater out there except Loose Moose got this really inexpensive space that used to be a cattle auction out near the airport which was in my end of town. So to discover this incredibly cool place where I could ride my bike to through an industrial park, but I could get there, uh, I, I couldn't get enough of it. And they would train you for free as long as you uh, volunteered to usher or work concession. Um, oh, so. so they started interns. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keith. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and but like, Loose Moose has always been a theater company that is like the the major base of the players are under twenty five, and I think a lot of players start when they're sixteen or seventeen years old. Wow. Um, that's yeah. amazing. So it's still yeah. like, so a phenomenon I see in a lot of, of theaters um, as we've traveled around is like, as a theater gets older, the main stage cast gets older and it gets crowded up there. And then there's no place for the younger people to go because the experienced people are, are holding their, their space. How does Loose Moose manage that to keep the turnover of younger people getting opportunities to play. A lot of senior players leave. Uh, they, leave, they, leave Calgary. they leave. Yeah. They leave Calgary. Right. So, so if there, uh, if there are players who are hoping to make it as comedians or make it as improvisers, or make it as professional actors, they don't necessarily stick around Calgary for a long time. They either go to Vancouver mm. or to Toronto. Um, <laughs> and, and so there's always like, there was actually always a good kind of healthy turnover. And I would say looking at the company as it is now, there, there are, there remain some players there who were there when I started. So you get a great cultural internal memory, but there's always fresh young folks coming in and uh, saying like, why is it so white here, guys? We need to change this up. Or like, why are you still just using he, she? Mm -hmm. Like, 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 uh, and I think that it, the the infusion of young people, like and very young people, 16, 16 and seventeen year olds, is really inspiring. Um, I don't know if the if the old improvisers thought I was inspiring, but certainly when I go back to Loose Moose and see you know a, a young hot shot sixteen year old step out on stage and improvise at a level that's far beyond their years, I think, oh my gosh, I can't wait to play with that kid. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, uh, David Christopher from Just the Funny was just here last night with his daughter who's going to go to college here. And like, she's just, just blowing my mind, like her perspective. And she was like, <laughs> guaranteeing me that her perspective isn't everyone's perspective. And I was like, mm -hmm. cool, I'll take that with a great, like, I won't say all the youth think what you think. I'll say this mm -hmm. really cool per young person I met shared this perspective with me because uh, she was just so smart, so insightful. Uh, and I love that she gives a disclaimer. Like, yeah. but even the fact that she gave you a disclaimer says a lot. Yeah. It's a lot about her. Yeah. For yeah. sure. For sure. And so in 1988, you said is when you started. Yeah. Um, was how old was Loose Moose at that time? Was it how long had it been around? 12 when you years. Started? Yeah. Okay. So it's still on its. And that's great. There? I think that in few years, maybe. Of, of younger people really makes uh, a place endure. I think a lot of what we've seen, we've talked here a lot about Second City and about a lot of places that have not been updated over time. And um, I think both on stage and off, if everyone's been there for 30 years, you start to lose your relevance. And it was really weird for me when I first moved to Toronto in 2001 and encountered the improv community there and kind of looked around. I was like, what's with all these 30 year olds? <laughs> 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 
where are the, where's the like where's the young fresh people? <laughs> we sent them all to Calgary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the exchange program. You know what? I, I got to um, I got to produce the Loose Moose 25th anniversary uh, after I had moved to Toronto, and I sort of produced it long distance and flew back for it. And we did this thing where we did a, a theater sports tournament, and the teams were generational, and so. Uh, that was such a cool thing to see on so many levels. So at that time, the, the team of the oldest improvisers were in their 60s uh, and had started Loose Moose. And then we kind of went by decade as much as we could. And it was a round robin. People got eliminated. And it ended up that the second oldest team and the 16-year-olds who had just started, it was them against each other in the finals. And it was like... That's amazing. That's amazing. And you know what? The, and the 16-year-olds won. Like, they cleaned their clocks. It was great. Of course they did. Yeah. It was yeah. great. But but seeing, you know, whatever that was and however many decades that we managed to kind of like, you know, we weren't sort of, not, maybe it was less than a decade, but it was also really interesting at that time to see the different styles of improv based on where people were in their lives, you know? That's incredible. So I when- feel like that that diversity of of age is so important because I remember when I moved to Sarasota, I came from Miami where uh, everybody was kind of moving quickly and it was very much like Second City style. Um, and when I moved to Sarasota, I was very lucky that Stacy Smith was actually my welcoming committee here because she used to come every year to Sarasota to do a residency. And watching her engage with the older improvisers was so inspiring because she was she was so patient just with the way that they are that they were cognitively made up at this point. And I'm talking people in their 70s, 80s. Um, Amazing. And yeah, it was really it was really incredible to watch her her patience with them and the way that she drew out all of the life that they have to contribute. <laughs> to the stage versus somebody, you know, my age or like me, that was like a chump that came in as like, yeah, yeah, I lived 30 something years. I got a lot to say, right? Like, no, it just taught me a lot about soft skills within improv that I don't think that I would have earned if I was in another city that didn't have people that were wanting to improvise literally in their 80s, late 80s too. I think it's important to mix that up. You know, when I when I was a hippie in Eugene, Oregon, and I was um, doing African dance classes, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we would have um, touring artists come of all different generations, and you you know, the the different rhythms have these um, moves that are that go with them, and you can do them in different orders uh, in a lot of the dances, but they're associated with these different moves, and a lot of them. When you watch a 13-year-old do them, they're like jumping super high in the air and going really fast and their arms are flailing really big and you're just blown away yeah. by the energy and the power and the height. And then you have a 70-year-old woman come out and do those same moves and she's just got like nuance and finesse and re- like the energy is efficient and and used very precisely and it's engaging in an entirely different way. And I, I feel like the more we can appreciate um, the, mm-hmm. the, the benefits of different ages in that, in that way, mm-hmm. I feel like improv is the same. Oh, um, I always think improv is... It helps us become attuned to each other. 
Sorry, both, I want to hear what both of you have to say. So, <laughs> uh, Elise, what were you saying? I was just, I was just saying that it helps us uh, having, and this, this, this. Uh, we're talking about diversity in age, but diversity. This applies to diversity across the board, in terms of it helps us just learn to step on stage and take just a moment to to become attuned to each other. Mm-hmm. And to pay attention to those things that you were just mentioning, Stacy, right? Like, oh, I can see that this person has a nuance, whereas maybe I have energy and we can marry those two things, right? So I feel like that's why it's so important to to just have diversity on, on all of the spectrums on stage so that we, it just teaches us to to become attuned to each other. And, and I find that to be so much more beautiful than a bunch of people that play exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. And Rebecca, what were you going to mm-hmm. say? Oh, I was going to say, I, I've always equated uh, it to, um, you know, in, like, well, sex, really. Like, <laughs> when you're 16 and 17, you do it really, really fast. And as many people as possible. And you just love it. And it's very athletic. And then, like, as you, like, get older, you're like, you know what? We could take our time. There could be chapters. <laughs> I have a like a slightly more select group of people that that I do it with now, right? And I know kind of which ones are worth my time and energy, and which ones are not <laughs> to my taste necessarily. Totally. And then yeah. and then you but you still you still as an improviser have that experience where you know you go to a festival and you you meet a new person and you step on stage and you go oh hi Joe Bill. This is going to go well. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel it. You do know right away. Yeah, for sure. And well, the, actually, yeah. I met Joe Bill in, in Dubai, and I sat in on his workshop, and I he was in the middle of explaining a concept, and I was weeping mm. at the back of the room because I was like, oh, my God. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Then, Say it again, Joe. Say it one more time. Mostly short form and long form jokes in my brain right now. In that, in that workshop, because I felt her presence, and I had, and I had, of course, known of Rebecca for years. But then she's finally there. I was like, Oh my god, Rebecca Northern's watching my workshop. Okay, and then I needed, I wanted to demonstrate something, and I hardly ever will demonstrate for a class. But then I said to Rebecca, Would you mind coming up and just doing a thing with me? Um, and she she went, Sure. <laughs> and then it was just that in my mind, it was like there was an orchestral swell behind us and we slowly took our place on stage and we did kind of a Meisnery eye contact thing. Yeah. And um, and it was perfectly executed. And then I just when I snapped out of it, I just I kind of looked at the students like, oh, was that OK with everybody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so intimate. I, I always call that just like a moment of falling in love with somebody on, on stage and yeah. in, in the festival 100%. times. Yeah, especially like in jams, like even the I'd say the biggest clusterfuck yeah. jams are the times that I have found some improv soulmates because we would make eye contact in the middle of chaos and have a deep understanding that we were in exactly the same place <laughs> and trying to make our, our way through it together uh, and survive it together. So, uh, and, and I think just to talk about what you were just saying, Elise, too, with like the speed of older players, I also think uh, when you talk about neurodiversity, 
Um, mm-hmm. Speed is a huge part uh, and a great skill to understand. We had we had a, a performer who just took longer and he was a younger man, but in that same sense of like, he, it just took him longer to go from the idea mm-hmm. to his mouth. And, but if you were looking him in the eye, you could see it wasn't panicked and it wasn't void. It, it was coming and you had to really mm-hmm. see it. And if you waited, oh, it was always the most interesting and delicious yeah. and surprising gift if you gave it space. And there were people mm-hmm. who loved playing with him and there were people who really struggled playing with him. And I think those who struggled just didn't feel comfortable leaving that a little bit of breathing room. They were they wanted to jackhammer through the scene. Yeah, we know. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the audience panics a little too, right? So they're seeing that moment. They're not sure. They don't know that person. They don't know if they're going to be able to get that thing out. And then when they do, they, the laugh is amplified by the relief of, uh, yeah. oh, they not only did they do it, they exceeded my expectations. So and wouldn't I it be great if the it- joy of meeting someone exactly where they are? Though mm-hmm. you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's happened on on quite a few occasions over the years of doing blind date that we've met uh, a stranger, a non-performer in the lobby, and thought, "Wow, you're great. Um, do you think maybe you might want to do the show with us? You want to be on the on the short list?" And within the first maybe ten minutes of being on stage with a few of these folks, I've kind of gone, "Hmm." I think perhaps the gentleman across from me might be neurodivergent, maybe. I'm just gonna shift my energy and kind of go like, so what, how how do we fit together? How do we fit together? And it's so pleasurable to give up control that way. So this yes. is a perfect segue into Blind Date for those who don't know. So Rebecca does a 90 minute show with uh, uh, an audience member as her main other uh scene partner and there are a few other improvisers who participate and and uh help keep the pace but it's mainly you interacting with an audience member so let's start with um when you are you you all interact as people are coming in with the audience and that's your selection process right you're seeing who's game who might be fun Mm -hmm. what 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 do you all think about if I were trying to do that for you what would you tell me to look for and and what would you want me to try to find for you um well the one of the sort of thumbtacks or like signposts for all of all of my work um is that the show starts in the lobby and so for that for me that's everything from curating the space and going how do we make this more comfortable like let's drape fabric let's put cushions let's put candles and twinkly lights and have music in the lobby so it's not a dead space um and then it's also when we're mingling with the audience in the lobby we approach it as though we are hosting our best house guests like our most favorite house guests at our own home. And um, the first pass that all the improvisers do when they walk through the lobby is just is literally sort of visual energetic. So we say mm-hmm. walk through the lobby and who's shiny. And it and it's not it's not a there's it's there's just sort of a gut instinct about it. Who pops for whatever reason and then and then on your second pass if they still pop and they make eye contact uh, engage with them, chat with them, you know, ha- do small talk, see how they heard about the show, et cetera. And you can kind of see, you know, are they lighting up 
as you continue to talk to them or are they are the lights starting to kind of dim because they're like there's too much attention on me <laughs> yes i yeah. don't want to participate uh and and that's really relate. the uh, the first kind of um meeting them where they are Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we for our Shakespeare show, we started doing uh, greeting the guests as they came in in character. And w- many of us in the Shakespeare cast are also in another group together. And one of the improvisers from that group who's not in our Shakespeare came and he shrunk down when he was ta- he was like, I hate this. Me too. I, I hate, hate this. it. I'm in the audience. <laughs> I hate it. I like, please don't talk to me. Please don't talk to me. I don't want, I don't want to participate. You don't want me to participate. Like, uh, yeah. So <laughs> even, even a seasoned performer like yourself might be somebody who's just not comfortable with that. Uh, and then, uh, and, and this is the thing like that I was blown away when I saw it because I love playing with non-improvisers. I love playing with beginner improvisers. I think Joe does as well. I think that's a huge part of how we became friends. Elise and I became friends because she, we met 10 minutes before she did yeah. uh, a Ruby rocket with me in Florida. Uh, so I love the, the surprise of it. I, I love playing with a group I've played with forever and knowing what I can throw at someone and and make them look their best and have moments to shine. But I also love just what, and you're articulating it so well, just meeting someone where they are and uh, guiding them through uh, an experience that they're so excited to have that they've never had before. And what I admired when I saw you do Blind Date is that you were so completely in control uh, in the most relaxed Was and I? confident way. <laughs> but you were, you absolutely mm-hmm. were. And the time that I saw it, the next day was one of the first times one of your um, alternates was doing the show. And you had kind of what I learned later was like a textbook kind of person who was up for it. He was happy. He didn't do anything like I know you all kind of like it when somebody is even beyond textbook. Right. You like handling more surprises, but it was a great. Depends on the meaning. (laughs) (laughs) And then this one was a guy who just wouldn't do anything. And you'll remember he was a he's a therapist and his he was had a new girlfriend in the audience and. He just wouldn't play. And she kept calling timeouts and she kept checking in with the girlfriend. Uh, so Rebecca does, you know, the, the format has a timeout where they can go out of character to, which is a kind of a consent based moment, I think. It's 100% consent based. Was that? Like, and, and we check consent multiple times in the lobby, again, in front of the audience, like as the show progresses, always, always, always. Which I think is so important not to gloss over um, because it's such a power position. You've taken somebody out of an audience, you've put them on stage, they're terrified and they may feel pressured to do things. And I love the subtlety of the communication of it all that just kind of leaning into somebody we all know. Mimi's ready to get kissed and whether or not (laughs) they they choose for that (laughs) kiss to happen or not. Uh, Well, they choose, you know what? Blind Date's been running for 10 years. They, so the kiss happens less and less. Like the culture has changed. So in the early Mm. days of Blind Date, I, whoa, I got tongue in every show. And that just doesn't happen anymore. (laughs) Especially now. And now, now, and now we live in a 
the world with COVID. So I'll probably never do blind date again. But but it's been really interesting to watch the culture change. It's been really interesting in straight blind date to, uh, to watch men shift. Right. So uh, we now, as part of blind date, we model what a good consent conversation looks like on a first date um, when it comes to, Hey, listen, I'd like to put on the table that I I am having such a great time with you and I find you attractive and I would be open to having a kiss if you feel comfortable. And if you don't, that's cool too. It won't affect whether or not I see you again if you if you want to have a second date. Um Okay, that that was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, right? Like, it's not I will that kiss hard. You now. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <Yes. laughs> um, what's been incredible in the last, like, like has, what's been really incredible is to, you know, have that conversation. And it's happened on more than one occasion. If the guy is over 50, over 55, that they'll say, well, I don't know. I don't know what the rules are anymore. I actually had one guy sit on his hands and say, you tell me, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm allowed to do. And also talking about consent isn't sexy, but what's great. Like it's such a great opportunity. Again, talk about meeting someone where they're at and say, Hey, like I'm old enough to say, I didn't grow up having consent conversations either. I grew up with, oh my God, Han, uh, you know, Han Solo pushing Princess Leia up against a wall and mm. cornering her and not taking no for an answer. Like I was taught that that was sexy. So, you know, to be able to have that conversation in real time with a guy and say, hey, if you feel that way, I promise you uh, that there are other people in the audience who feel that way too. And let's talk about why isn't it sexy? to have a consent conversation and how can we make it sexy? Like, cause it can be so sexy. It can be super fun. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that's really great is what we've noticed is younger men, no problem, no problem right. with it. I'm generalizing, you know, like of obviously it, it varies um, individual to individual, but we've seen a real trend in the last like three years or so of doing the show that of, of that. And, and when we do queer blind date, like consent conversation, like PhD, like, like th- those of us that do straight blind date, when we go to watch queer blind date, I'll just sort of stand in the back and cry and go, how do we make the straight version more like this? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, we can. we can. And that's, it, it, tell me if I'm, if, if I'm off base, but my perception is like in its earlier days, it was about nonverbal communication and, and consent. And like, you know, when you are leaning in and it, mm-hmm. it, it, it reads as um, asking to be, kiss I think you know John and I when we first kissed he's always like you kissed me and I'm like I actually didn't I just got really really close to your face (laughs) (laughs) then you kissed me right and that dynamic and that communication and the gender role expectation that the woman does get really close and then the man has to initiate the the kiss right or like those were the old sort of stereotypes of how Mm -hmm. we interacted and then I loved how when it became queer blind date that it removes those gender roles when you have two men or two women and and, uh, so this consent these consent conversations and having to sort this out had to come out in some other way which and then now that's informing straight people 
uh, which well, is I knew awful. Velvet was about to talk because yes. I know yeah. I know Velvet now when his when his shoulder goes like this I'm like oh it's coming oh, yeah 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 I take that breath in <laughs> yeah. uh, the other the other part of it is is that more of the conversations are happening it's you yeah. know, you have more practice with it so and and yes you still have I mean you have to have the conversations but you, you get more practice and you get more bold with it because and you you hear yes when the person is ready for, like they want it too and then it's it, you can have far more play with it. Mm-hmm. You, you get that awkward and that ego and that fear of being rejected. Like it, it happens, but uh, yeah, you just have more communication um, practice, more attempts and, uh, and more variations. And, le- and because you're doing that work for yourself to, uh, to accept and express, you uh, see the different variations of what yes looks and feels like. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm kind of not so yeah yeah I'm I'm kind of not surprised that the that the straight blind date went like that because you if you're we're talking about hetero cis men they've always had the privilege of not having to have that conversation and the power to not have that conversation and now it it makes sense to me why that's why that's more difficult and velvet's right like it would it's it's nice to hear that the younger generation is now having more more of those conversations uh, and it's becoming more normalized. And it, it's, it's really, it's inspiring. It's reminding me of baby. It's Sounds cold like outside. It. Oh my gosh. I've been thinking that for the last five minutes It because it's and the a, conversation that comes up every year about it. And, and every yeah. year I think both sides are right. Right. If these are two people mm-hmm. who are consensual and aware that they're playing this game with one another, totally different than if this woman is uncomfortable and trying to get the hell home. Right. And that's why you have to, at some point, stop playing the game and, and like bit time out. That's a, you know, like when you're trying to get yeah. a bunch of improvisers to get on a bus at a certain time, you have to get them to stop doing their bits for a second and have a real conversation. And I feel like it's not as fun, right, as just doing bits forever. And I think it's that same yeah. thing with consent, like just a little time out, you know, just a little moment. I think, I don't know how John's going to feel about it, but, with you know, we kissed the first day we met uh, and it was something that I wasn't doing at the t- you know, I was trying not to rush into anything physically. And, and what totally won me over is it was actually the consent part was like completely mm-hmm. made me relax where he just kept going, is this okay? That's all. It was just like, is this okay? Mm-hmm. Just a quick little in my ear, all, you know, breathy <laughs> in my ear. Yeah. And like, so it was like, John we're all feeling that. Yeah. But John's also 30. <laughs> how old are you now? 30, 38, 38. Ancient, so, you know. Ancient. Yeah. But 12 it's years younger than the men about my age. Uh, on, I was watching American Idol recently. Yes, I watch American Idol. Oh. And um, <laughs> they had a guest judge on. And the guest judge was Paula Abdul, who used to be a judge when American Idol first came out decades ago. Yeah. And she comes in and, and the, and the, the contestant was about to get uh, a no, right? Like they were about to be sent home. And Paula Abdul, with all of the of the like force of her being, says, "You know, my dad used to say to me that no is a negotiation." And I was like, 
No, Paula. It's a punctuation. It's made- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In that moment, and if they don't accept it, it's a punctuation. No. Yes, <laughs> a punctuation. Yeah. See, I'll let you get away with that pun. Out of that whole thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. There you go. It's a punctuation. Get it? Yes. Like UN. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and in general, you do a lot of work, Rebecca, with um, with general public and audience members participating on stage. And in general, there's a consent, right? Do you, have you changed how you approach that over the years in terms of, uh, you know, now we all check in with each other as improvisers. When you bring someone on stage, is there some way that you allow them to... Uh, I've actually just made the connection that we've used timeout now in our classes. And like we just say, say timeout, throw a timeout if, you, if you're feeling uncomfortable and you want to talk something out. And what we're working on is making people feel comfortable doing it. It doesn't have to be the hugest deal. Sometimes people are like, oh, it passed mm-hmm. through my head, but I didn't know. Like, do it. When in doubt, do it versus not do it. It's not going to hurt anything. And it's that same idea. I'm going to kill the fun or I'm going to kill the mood if I actually talk about the discomfort I'm feeling instead of encouraging people. Um, Do you provide that like in your detective show? Um, Where do you do that in the process? Uh, We do it multiple times in the process. So it always starts in the lobby. So once we're talking with a potential um, a hero, whether it's blind date or legend has it or undercover, uh, those are the ones that feature an audience member as the star. We'll say, um, listen, how much do you know about the show? We'll fill them in a little bit if they don't know exactly what they've walked into. And then we'll say something like, well, listen, we think you might be great as the date or the detective or the hero. Uh, how do you feel about that? And then we watch their body because the body always answers first always before they they open their mouths you could you see it immediately um and if especially if it's blind date we also watch their partner um if they have a partner because the the, a yes needs to come from the partner as well so so that that the in blind date will include um romantic partners in that conversation and then what we'll say is okay so here's what else you need to know if you end up on stage we do have something in place for your care and your comfort and to give you control. And that is you can stop the action anytime you want. And that's part of the show. You're not ruining the show. Do you have any questions, any concerns? That's all a conversation in the lobby before they ever agree to be on the maybe list. So, and we usually in a given night have maybe four or five potential guest stars on our maybe list. And so they we are surprised that. in the moment who which one of them gets selected. That's right. Yeah, because we want a tiny bit of surprise, but not too much. And then we have that exact same conversation, like almost word for word, like almost scripted in front of the audience, the whole audience again, because you've negotiated the contract with them individually mm-hmm. in the lobby. Then you negotiate the contract with them again in front of the audience so that the audience understands that consent has been given. That's great. So they're not worried about the, them. At, well, yes, not, we don't yeah. want the, yeah, you don't want the audience to be worried about that. And if it's blind date, the other thing that we add for the audience is that the the spouse or the partner who's left behind in the audience can also call timeout and stop the show if anything makes them uncomfortable. And whatever's going on, 
we will find a way to fix it for you. And we really like uh, uh, hammer home, like you, can, there is nothing you can do to break the show, not as a challenge, but as a reassurance of, mm-hmm. of um, we want to have this conversation with you. We want, we sometimes we'll say like, we want you to feel like you've been to a theatrical spa by the end of this. Like we really want this to be a pleasurable experience for Love you. It. And we will bend over backwards to, to make sure that you have a nice time. That's the goal here is that you have a nice time. And I, I, I feel like, and again, tell me if I'm wrong, that, that Keith Johnstone has this reverence for the mm-hmm. audience that, that Keith Johnstone uh, does <laughs> no wants the audience to have a good time. That okay. was <laughs> Keith Johnstone. You might've heard of him. Uh, he wrote a couple books. He's from Toronto. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm being an, I'm being a dink. No, um, uh, dink is my favorite. Yes, Keith, Keith wants the audience. Like, so when we use phrases like treat the audience, like your best house guest, that that's that I heard directly from Keith. Right. Make sure they have a nice time. Take care of them. Find ways to please them and light them up. All of that comes from uh, my training at Loose Moose. You know what's what's interesting to me is that uh, I've always said, and I I catch a lot of flack for this, I always say, fuck the audience. And the reason why I say that (laughs) is not is not because like I want to do what I want to do and screw you. Right. But it's because as a woman of color, like I've been on stage and sometimes what brings the audience joy is to punch down right at Mm. me. So, so it's, and I, and I feel like every single time I say fuck the audience, people are like, but oh, they'll, they'll say, they'll use as a rebuttal, the things that you just said. And I'm like, I'm not talking about that. I was talking about something else. Yes, you are. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. I totally hear that. And what I would say is that there are different like, sort of like overlapping circles of care and mm-hmm. and um, making sure everyone has a nice time. So first and foremost, myself and my fellow improvisers have to make that promise to each other. No matter what happens yeah. out there, I have got your back. If I'm bringing an audience member on stage, then we all conspire to make sure they have a nice time. But like the core mm-hmm. has to be in place. And so if the next circle out is the general public and they're being jerks. So I'll give you an example. We were doing blind date in Edmonton and we were at the, in the opening 10 minutes of the show. And I said to this gentleman, so what do you do for your job? And he said, I work in the oil and gas industry. And these four women in the balcony went, Oh, boo. So I said, listen, John, I'm going to call a timeout and it's not because of you. And so then we took a timeout and I put my arm around John and I said, I need the house lights up. Who said boo? Who said that? Why? Because this guy who's on stage with me is my number one house guest. And Mm -hmm. he is in the most vulnerable position. And this I actually I'm saying to you exactly what I said to these ladies in the audience. You don't boo my guest. Wow, he works in oil and gas. And I said, yeah, it's also minus 27 today. Did you walk to the theater? Did you drive? (laughs) Are you heating your house? So here's the deal. Uh, It's my job to take care of this guy. And that includes me kicking you out of the theater if you can't keep that behavior under wraps. 
So in that moment, I'd be like, yeah, fuck you. Fuck you. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. though that, that kind of bad behavior being allowed to happen makes everybody unsafe. Yes. So that's where I, in the, in the, as the lead clown in that show, go, yeah, fuck the audience. Like, it's a perfect uh, you're example. My best, you're my best house guest mm -hmm. until you act badly, and then I yeah. will spank you. And that is kicking you out of my house. Yeah. I just, I just want to. Add, I love how sexual this all is. Okay. It's welcome it's to Rebecca Calgary. Northern. In Calgary, it's really. really. That's that's amazing. Amazing. sexual energy in Calgary. I didn't mean it to be sexual. No, you can't. No, help it. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I just, want, I just wanted to add in here, especially as we're as we're going forward, that like it's completely possible for. It's just true that many things can be true at the same time, including yeah. completely disparate ideas. Mm. And the idea as artists yeah. who are performing is to be able to hold all of those ideas and to be present in the moment with that knowledge and to be in the moment, not with an encyclopedia of approved behavior, but here with all of right. this, we know and we can deal with it right now as it comes up. So like, that's an amazing example. Of and that. you weren't just protecting mm -hmm. the guy on the stage, actually, you were protecting everyone in the audience and you're protecting mm -hmm. their experience, which is what I think a lot, just to relate to long form, which was why I was like, oh, we need to have Rebecca because we were talking about long form as a marketable art form. And what I think a lot of long form lacks is that reverence for the audience. And it, it, a lot of that comes from reacting against short form that is pandering. Yeah. I'm not saying all short form is pandering. Uh, I think there is short form that's pandering. And honestly, it wasn't till I saw theater sports done really well that I came around to short form. I'm one of the first people who started with long form and didn't start with short form. Um, because I came to improv from a film background and wanted to create films with improvised actors. Uh, and I, th I think that reaction to it is like, we're not going to pander at all. And then there's a disrespect for the audience. Like we're going to do this format. Um, it's called Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And we're going to, uh, every time someone does this, then we take each other's characters, then we leave the state. You know, this means nothing to an audience member, right? This is for you and your artistic satisfaction. Whereas we're still pandering just to themselves. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Into each other. No lies detected. I mean, another word sprang to mind. If you're, you know, still on the sexual train, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but just to get back to the sexual thing, I do feel like everyone I've met from Calgary has a sexual energy. And I asked someone from Calgary once, and they, they said kind of it's from that. your the Stampede. Or what's it called? The what's yeah, the yeah, the Stampede. Yeah. The greatest outdoor show on earth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, Listen, that's dirty. That that is ten days of like the, some of the grossest human behavior you've ever seen. So I don't know if I would relate it to. I don't know. I have to think about that. I have to talk to my therapist about that. I don't know. I of course. I, I love it. I love it. Um, so yeah, in terms of um, creating a show concept versus a format. Right. So a lot of times I ask people, come and pitch me a show because we need a show for our space. And they will come with like, we're going to do a format where we each take a turn and then we split off. And I'm like, this isn't a show concept. This is the format. How are you going mm -hmm. to express this to your audience? Where did you get your 
marketing brilliance because I think you're one of the best in the in the world. Seriously, Rebecca, at creating show concepts, uh, marketing those concepts in a way that is compelling and interesting, and still incredibly theatrical and artistic, and in no way, in my opinion, like pandering. Um, so what, I don't know, where did that Can you tell from? the Canada Council that? Please? <laughs> I will, gladly. Because you I, know what they don't fund? Improv shows. Mm. <laughs> when we were talking to Kathy. I will also Kathy, write a letter. Yeah, I will write a letter. I'll, I'll send up a video. I'll do whatever yeah, you too. need, Rebecca. I will help you. Bless you. Uh, Dear Canada Council, my American friends think you should give me money. <laughs> There's a stand, and Americans the are, are always to, right. <laughs> the stand-ups Kelly, are trying to Kelly? rally it's and Kelly, get in right? front of. Yeah. Kelly, so. Kelly Agathos, she said the same thing about oh, yeah. where she lives, which yeah. is that it's not Belgium. it's not recognized Belgium, yeah. as an art format. But. Yeah. What were you saying, Velvet, that stand-ups are trying to get more yeah. recognized the, as an uh, art form? The, the, there's a Canadian advisory group that is lobbying the government to recognize comedy as an art form. And they have uh, a few different um, uh, email kind of uh, forms that you can uh, put in your address and, and it will address specific uh, politicians to help lobby uh, to get it recognized, uh, because as soon as it's recognized, then the funding bodies are more likely to get on board uh, eventually. So mm-hmm. that is a that is a way, at least, spreading awareness of those kind of uh, you know those kind of um, advocacy groups and uh, and supporting them. If you're uh, not within the region, that would certainly help. Uh, at this point, or you know you you know just colonize it and send us money directly. Yeah, we're, that we'll, good. we'll accept that too. <laughs> and I think everyone says laughter is the best medicine. Everybody says, "Oh, we need this now more than ever." But yeah. but then when I reach out to a grantor, and they'll be like, "Oh, this is only for nonprofits," and I'll be like, "Oh, we we are a nonprofit," and they'll go, "Really?" <laughs> Yeah, really. I mean, I don't, I don't make any money. No, making any money. Uh, let's show um, the uh, blind date images. I just want to show some of these. Here's uh, Rebecca. Uh, this is one this of your. This is the very, 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 very beginning of Blind Date when it was still a 15 minute clown turn that happened in 2009 in something called the Spiegel Tent which is a, a, the most amazing venue. If you ever get a chance to perform in a Spiegel tent, it's a round wooden tent with all mirrors. And um, Mimi was uh, Mimi was born it, uh, at the Spiegel tent as part of a, uh, a larger kind of sexy adult variety show, which had a lot of burlesque and acrobats. And I was asked to, to create something and Mimi kind of came out of that. This is the exact opposite. So this is the set. <laughs> this is a set for Blind Date that happened a couple of years ago at the Grand Theatre in London. And this is an 800 seat venue. Amazing. Wow. So it's a huge stage, like massive stage. So, of course, we needed a design element to fill it. Um, and an amazing Canadian designer named Ken McDonald did that. This is this is our set option if the date says I don't want to go to your apartment, let's go to the park. That's great. Um, 
And then this yeah. is another park set Amazing. from a different. This is this is the cafe. This is where the show starts. But and it, honestly, in a normal run of Blind Date, we would literally have two freestanding doors and a table and chairs. That's it. So this was kind of like the Disney version. Well, <laughs> in and terms I, of we talk budget. a lot about improvisers um, not coming from a tradition that understands different venues like we tend to have the mm. home venue and we do all our stuff there and I, I talk a lot about um, stand-ups you know need, needing to understand like I, how I perform in a dive bar is different than how I perform in an old vaudeville right. theater for 800 to 1200 people and I think that's the same thing is that you've done such a beautiful job of scaling blind date to whatever venue you're in. If somebody pays $12 for a fringe show that has a solo performer, no set, and then that person gets booked to perform somewhere for 2,000 people who pay $30, $40 for their ticket, the, the expectations change. Um, and so I, I love the theatricality that, that you bring in. Outside of... Um, Loose Moose, uh, you know, where did you get your clown training and your acting training? Um, I went to the University of Calgary and have a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Drama. Um, I started doing Mimi and, and, and Blind Date before I ever took any clown training. And then, and then I thought, ooh, I should probably get some clown training. So then I studied with um, uh, Mike Kennard and... Um, John Turner of uh, Mump and Smoot, who are very famous uh, Canadian mm -hmm. horror clowns. Oh, awesome. Can I just yeah. can I just like mention that you know we've had a lot of conversations on this just about how improvisers start, and you really kind of start off in the realm of hobbyist of of amateur. And I'll, I don't think I'll ever be convinced that improv is an art form, but I think the thing that and I think this plays into your marketing, uh, Rebecca, is that with the sets and with, with everything, improv can look like an art form when the people that are doing it from the producers to the people that are performing it do it with a measure of artistry that takes a while to achieve. And so yeah. just you're saying, I put on a clown nose, I dress as a clown, I thought, oh, I should get some clown training. To me, mm -hmm. that is the prime example of an improviser mm -hmm. going, oh, I need some additional training so I can raise my level from not just amateur, not just, you know, um, hobbyist, but to like, I want this to be something and aspire to art as a possibility. And I've always just admired that about you and, um, and your demand to be like for, for the quality and the focus and the, the assumption well, of professionalism to be there. And that's, you know what, like you just hit it right there. Uh, from the time that I, because I started improvising at the same time that I started going to theater school and going, I, well, I want to be a professional actor. I did not see improv as this separate pursuit. I, I have always thought improvisation is part of my skills as a professional actor. I, it, it both shocked and completely pissed me off. Uh, as a young actor, when I would get cast in a mainstream play with other professional actors, and on the first day, someone would say, oh, you're that improv chick. Are you going to be able to handle this scripted material? Or can we rely on you to be consistent? And I would say, well, I don't know. You're a scripted actor. Can you handle this impromptu conversation right now? <laughs> <laughs> like, what 
are you talking about? So, and, and can I, you perform I, I with a sense of pres- being fully present and authenticity mm. and reacting? Debatable. Yeah. Debatable, mm. depending on the actor, right? Like, oh, a glass just smashed. Let's continue doing the actions that we've rehearsed. Like, but there's glass yeah. guys. Um, <laughs> so I would say that my work over the last decade has really been, in a way, a stubborn uh, thing on my part to take my improv world and my mainstream theater world and insist that they come together. I, I insist that they intersect. Um, and I, I really insist that improvisation be given the same respect as scripted theater. And that is a continuous uphill battle, one that I understand. A lot of improv is really bad. But a lot of scripted <laughs> theater is really, really bad. bad. It is a and lot. Then, yeah. And then the thing is, like with the scripted stuff, is like, well, you did a workshop and then you rehearsed it like that. Yeah. 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 yeah and you, and you never saw or felt that it wasn't working. I I had John bring up that picture of you doing undis- you know, because now you have done improvised Shakespeare alongside Shakespeare. Uh, you know, top of the nation, Shakespeare. Well, this is like my, I mean, we came this close and then COVID hit, but Uh, I'll say this, mm. this is the product or this is the marketing image for an undiscovered Shakespeare that we, I pitched as a workshop idea to the Stratford festival, which is the country's it's well, it's North America, one of North America's largest professional Shakespeare festivals. Um, And after I had, done blind date for a while and then we'd had some success with legend has it i said to myself what's the next hardest thing wow (laughs) what if we what if we involve an audience member in some way in in improvising shakespeare and i um so i pitched the idea to the head of new play development at the stratford festival because i'll tell you one of my one of my philosophies is like what's the worst anyone's gonna say no so it cost me nothing to, you know, send off an email and go, what do you think of this idea? And then they wrote back and said, yeah, let's do, let's do a one week workshop. And I was like, oh no, no, I'm <laughs> this is terrible. And so we got together for one week. We had, a, they gave us enough money to get together for one week and try some ideas and improvising in iambic pentameter uh, after 30 years of improvising to step up on stage and go, wow, I'm afraid to speak right now because I don't want to <laughs> was like a really interesting return to beginner's mind. Um, but because the first year of that workshop went well, the festival said, why don't you guys come back next year? And so they've kind of had us back workshopping this idea every year for seven years, which as an improviser, I, I hate how long it's taking. Right. But <laughs> it takes that long uh, well, I'm still very bad at improvising in iambic pentameter. I'm much better than that first time, but it, it certainly takes that long for the the skills to kind of soak in. But it also took that long to very gently move the improv ball down the Stratford Festival court and go, see how we have academic merit? See how we have practical merit? See how we're not too intimidating? See how your audience responds to now that like we've had uh, audience members say, oh, uh, I suddenly have a better uh, understanding of the five act structure now that I've seen you guys do it on the fly. And I didn't understand that about Shakespeare's plays. Like, so that's really exciting to me, but it has, it, it, it does feel like 
the the work to not be not be pushed to the to it to go sit at the kids table is 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 ongoing it's ongoing yeah. but through this you know this weird sort of thing that that came about through blind date which i would just keep expanding on which is uh let's make another show with the audience member as a as a star um and what's the next narrative like our shows are very structured they're very very structured but what that allows us to do in the selling of it to the programmers is to say look it's repeatable yes like i can guarantee you like a play the, the story is mm -hmm. going to mostly be the same every night. So people go, okay, I trust. I'm comfortable with that. I understand that. And you go, but the joy of it is we don't know how it will get, the picture will be colored in every night. Well, that sounds pretty risky. Yes. So it's like reliable and risky. And, you which know. Which is great theater. Yeah. Which we hope That's is great, great theater. theater. Yeah. Yep. And, it, yeah. and it's what's going to keep theater alive because... I can come see your your rough show uh, somewhere or I could stay home and watch Netflix. But can I go somewhere and watch you take a risk that I feel invested in and, and where I cheer you on, where you succeed and I yeah. roll with you where you fail is an experience you can't get from Netflix or from an IMAX movie. It's unique to theater. And I think, oh, yeah. you know, this year, even before the pandemic, all of the theaters in Portland were experiencing huge drops in ticket sales. And we were going up 40% year over year the past two years. Wow. So, so I felt bad because I would be trying to commiserate with people and they'd be like, oh, everyone's tickets are down. And I would just sort of quietly be like, mm, gosh, that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. How do you wonder why? How, like, why? Why is that happening? And and then why are your ticket sales? Up? I mean, I will say over the years, I've had colleagues on either side of the theatrical spectrum uh, say to me, uh, "We love your shows, but it's not real theater, and <sighs> we love your shows, but it's not improv." Rude. Wow. Not really that yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 Bass props, not improv. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. To me, it is. Yeah. So when I saw. Um, a show in Chicago called Roof is on Fiddler. I don't know if I've brought it up in this yet. Um, awesome. But it's like Rich Telrico and what's Sam? Oh, say no more. DJ Rich Telrico is in it. So yeah. It's a great show. TJ Shanoff. Yeah. So TJ Shanoff took all the music to Fiddler on the Roof and and put it all to 80s hits. So the big nightmare dream was to Thriller and it was uh, Bruce Hornsby for Things Will Never Change. and But everything else was to the book. And it was a cast of people who had all done Fiddler many times. They all love Fiddler on the Roof. They were doing it at midnight because they were on Second City main stage and they had to come over after often doing two shows and an wow. improv set. They do Roof is on Fiddler at I.O. And... I, wa I didn't even live in Chicago, managed to see it three different times when I was in town and I couldn't miss it because it was the most alive theater mm -hmm. I ever saw. And while the music part was the hook, right, that that sold it, what made me watch it three times was watching that scene when Teviev has had the nightmare and he and his wife are sitting on the end of the bed and they're talking about his sadness of 
change and trying to cope. And I'm going to cry right now just thinking about it. <laughs> Do it. It was like I got uncomfortable like I was in their bedroom and they were having such the an authentic conversation that was so real and in the moment. And to this day, I swear it's because they are actors and improvisers. And that was both theater and improv, even though yep. it was to the script, because I know every yeah. time I saw it, they said it a different way and they reacted a different way because they were fully Love present, it. fully listening. Mm -hmm. It was just so powerful. And it's it unfortunate. Yeah. Is legendary. Let's look at um John, if you'll pull up the the legend, uh, tell us about this show, Rebecca, if you would. This was our so second endeavor in the world of what what I call spontaneous theater. I don't use <laughs> improv when I refer to my work because well because improv comes marketing. with baggage. So and it's marketing, yeah. So this um, the, the idea is that uh, um, an audience member gets to cross a threshold into a fantasy world that needs saving from an evil wizard. So this was um, our dragon puppet, which we ended up having to cut because it weighed 65 pounds. And oh, no. <laughs> um, this is a marketing image uh, for the show. So yes, I, in this show, true. I was really like, well, who's the audience? Who likes fantasy? Who does uh, LARPing? Who does role yeah. play? Who plays D&D, &D, right? And it's like, I like the intersection of, I like, I listen, I love nerds. There's no sexy <laughs> boy. Um, so like I get like I'm always interested in the in the I want the images to look like professional theater grade always. And in that and I and I, you know, sex sells. So so far we've leaned we've leaned on sexiness. And because then, I also think the spark of improvisation is sexy. Like the danger of getting up on stage is sexy. So I want that feeling. And then the Mostly. nose is like, okay, there's, there's comedy in here, right? So it, it's communicating so many things. And let's look at the undercover ones. So undercover is the detective show where you make a audience member the detective. They, they go, they get the yeah, uh, the audience member goes under undercover as a rookie cop, and they end up getting caught up in having to solve a murder. And look how sexy that image is. That's yeah. Awesome. Thank you, airbrushing. Yeah. <laughs> and and this yeah. is from the show. This is from the show. Yeah. So like, you know, it's like uh, we put money into the costumes and the design, They're, the design of the set. There are these two um, sort of rotating things so that that we can do multiple locations. Each one of those has like it's kind of like a, you can get three different rooms. And the set had like secret passageways and, and we created this. It, we used a bit of like escape room kind of stuff so that in any given environment, there were lots of actual physical clues for the audience member to find, including secret hidden panels oh. and keys that would open nice. something in a different part of the set. And they had to collect clues as they went through the experience. So this is the beginning of the show where we're training the audience member on um, how to be undercover. So the lav mic that we needed for the audience to be heard, we told the audience member, that's your wire. You're going undercover and we need you to wear a wire. That's great. Oh my Love gosh. That's so, so brilliant. So that way awesome. they weren't, they, so then this is a, a look at that set. So that painting that's on the wall, the audience member, if they want to, can pop the eyes out and they can look mm. from behind there. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. 
Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So awesome. And that's, I remember, you know, when I got to go to Loose Moose and, and then I also was lucky enough to have a workshop with Keith. He's just like, every improv theater should have a couch with the th- oh, yeah. thing cut out so that you can sit on the couch, lay down and disappear or appear that's from right. the couch. Like, and, and, <laughs> and Loose Moose had this big storage area. I remember you specifically in a scene where you were in a shop and somebody rolled out a rack of clothes so you could actually be shopping. There's inexpensive ways of creating some theatricality. Well, because I grew up at Loose Moose and because Keith came from a mainstream theater background, right? Long like So all of his theories and improvisation initially came out of trying to help scripted actors be more present and in the moment. So when, and his early uh, improv group, The Theater Machine, would play on Monday nights uh, during other companies' dark days. So they would be playing on sets with props, with costumes, with furniture. So growing up at Loose Moose where, yes, you could say, can I get a bed? And you and your fellow improviser can play a scene in bed with blankets and pillows, or can I get a kitchen or a living room, or can I get the rowboat, or could I get the car, which was a golf cart with no canopy, and you could get in and drive around. <laughs> uh, and you, and and this, you know, the, this is where the notion at Loose Moose of sonographers comes from. So the, the two, we would have always have two improvisers backstage who were asked to improvise sets. Um, and Sean Kinley, who is an incredible teacher, a lot of people will know him, and another guy named Tom Colam, really turned it into an art form um, by really just like constantly challenging themselves. Uh, so we would do nights of guerrilla theater where you could say to the sonographers, I don't, I'm not sure what I want to set up. Do you guys have something? And they would run out and peel back the carpet and there's a chalk outline of a body and then they run police tape. And you go, okay, great. We'll start with this. So that that the idea is that you are improvising theater, which is why it's not just two black chairs or some black boxes. It's whatever beautiful piece of furniture you have, or can I get different lights? Can I get a soundscape? Can I get an offer from the stagehands is an exciting way to play. I was really shocked when I left loose moose for the first time and was like where's your couch <laughs> guys we've, we've had people say to us i don't want any lighting changes they'll fuck up your show i don't want a musician they'll fuck up your show and hmm. I, i'm just like why would you deny all the tools that come with theater uh, you know and there's costs mm-hmm. obviously to to a certain amount of things but uh bruce when he did ryan got uh uh, Ryan's show, yeah, Ryan Gladstone's show, uh, No Tweed Too Tight. It was one yeah. black box that could be a bar, a desk, a bed, and then a bathtub. It's just the f- yeah. how you laid the box down, um, which anyone can build a black box and, and, and paint it black. But having some way to, to just play with the world. And I don't understand the purest, like, it's ruining <laughs> your improv mm. to allow other parts of theater to be involved in this. I love that. When I was in uh, Columbia, they had, um, sorry, 
I thought, no, that's all just projections. I, I was just mention, like John and I started because, you know, dating because he was a projectionist. So I was like, I want to get some projections in our theater. What you do is really cool. I need to date that guy. Yeah. And then we made mm. out. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> after consent, after very consensual makeout. Yes. Um, when when I was in Colombia, they they had just on stage a series of black boxes. They looked kind of like they weren't crates, but they were the size of what you would see a crate. But it was just wooden boxes. And they said to us before the show, use those boxes and make them whatever you want. And those boxes became bicycles. They became beds. Right. They became houses. They became uh, clothes. It was it was so much fun, and it was something that I. We're not we're not used to in the U.S. unless you're in an actual theater. Like I've, I, for the first time, I played with actual things on a set at Florida Studio Theater because there was a scripted play going on on the stage, and we just did a show there. And I was I was elated to shove my head in an oven. It was just hilarious, and I loved it so much. And I it was just it, it, I am also very physical, so it just was so inspiring to be able to play with an actual set. Yes. Well, and costumes no. is the same thing. You yes. know, we would always have off to the sides, not really directly lit, but costume racks because putting on a sweater or a house coat or a hat or whatever, like, you know, especially if you're a physical or a mask inspired performer gives you just another way in and, uh, or the moose would often have prop tables on either side, just piled high with stuff. But what it looks like when you walk in as an audience member is I've just walked into a theatrical playground. Yes. And I may or may not see these oh, things nice. get used, but mm -hmm. all of the elements are there for inspiration. Yeah. And I think they've gotten a bad rap just to bring it back around to this short form idea of like, I, I have been at the short form show where there's kind of the the fat guy in the bad wig and it gets a laugh just <laughs> sure. from being like a bad, nasty wig. And like the, the joke is he's just like a girl or, you know, which I think is different than somebody putting on the wig and being like, I am now playing this character, whatever gender it is, and it's inspiring me. And so yeah. it's unfortunate that we've spurned a lot of those things. And we've been starting to incorporate those more and more, starting with Ruby Rocket. And then we did it with our Shakespeare as well. And um, just so fun to have you know a, a hood you know if you're playing a witch a, a hooded cape and yes you know or fairy dust or a little crown makes you you move differently when you have yeah. a tiara on your head mm -hmm. <laughs> so well I just realized we have been talking forever because I could still talk to you for another <laughs> two hours um is there anything anyone wanted to ask Rebecca before we go that that I haven't asked that you've been waiting to hear her talk about Will you come back and be our guest again? Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime. Like, this has been the highlight of my week, believe oh. me. And now, yeah. you. Will, I have a question. Yeah. Will you give me a virtual kiss? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. And when COVID is gone, believe me. There will be a knock at your door late one night. You'll be like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> and before we it's go, Rebecca, cops. this is your spontaneous theater. <laughs> yeah, I know. Doesn't it look like we're like law and order or something? It, it yeah. totally yes. does. It totally, totally does. Uh, okay, but but again, these are marketing images where where 
so I, because of the town that I live in right now, which is like very, very theater town, right? What we wanted to do was say like, come and see our show. We do very serious comedy. And, and they would, and the patrons in this town would recognize many of those artists from the Stratford Festival, right? So we're kind of always like, it's to me, it's like the intersection is what's interesting. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Can people see you mm -hmm. anywhere right now online? Have you been doing any shows where people, you did a little at the beginning. I remember you did a show with Colin Mockery and you did a couple of things. I did sort of a, like a, a an online spinoff of Blind Date with other performers, which normally I like, I don't want to be in Blind Date. I don't want to be on stage with other performers. However, it was a pandemic <laughs> and I was like, I'm doing this one for me. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So if you if you look up Spontaneous Theater Canada on YouTube, I think there's about five or six shows. And it, it came about very organically that this gag came like how, you know, over the course of the pandemic, can I date my way to the top of the Hollywood ladder uh, was the sad kind of goal. Wow. And so I stopped at Wayne Love Brady it. because I was like, that's pretty good. I that mean, I was really <laughs> actually would have like, you know, David Suzuki was on my list and uh, could do other it. people. But. Can I play Mimi and do one with Ryan Gosling? Please. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> just that one. I just want that one. That's not, yeah. that's, come on. I know, everybody. I know, right? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. Everybody keep your, your eyes peeled. We, we didn't really talk about marketing, so that'll have no. to be Yeah, we'll do chat. another yeah, one. one. Yeah, we, we got his, yeah we'll do it again. We'll sure. talk more. You guys are the best. I love you all. We love Yay. you. Love you, love you. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> See you next week. Velvet, make sure Bye. you meet my sister in Ottawa. Yeah. Okay. She's a massage therapist. <laughs> oh, I want to go to Ottawa. <laughs> Woo, look at this outro right here. Yeah. John Tim. Wow. <laughs> the production value. Speaking of marketing. Nice. Love it. Come yeah. on.